Chapter 7, Parts 1 through 5 of God the Invisible King. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Idea of a Church, Part 1 The World Dawn. As yet, those who may be counted as belonging definitely to the new religion are few and scattered and unconfessed. Their realizations are still uncertain and incomplete. But that is no augury for the continuance of this state of affairs, even for the next few decades. There are many signs that the revival is coming very swiftly. It may be coming as swiftly as the morning comes after a tropical night. It may seem at present as though nothing very much were happening except for the fact that the old familiar constellations of theology have become a little pallid and lost something of their multitude of points. But nothing fades of itself. The deep stillness of the late night is broken by a stirring, and the morning star of creedless faith, the last and brightest of the stars, the star that owes its light to the coming sun, is in the sky. There is a stirring and a movement. There is a stir, like the stir before a breeze. Men are beginning to speak of religion without the bluster of the Christian formulae. They have begun to speak of God without any reference to omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence. The deists and theists of an older generation, be it noted, never did that. Their supreme being repudiated nothing. He was merely the whittle stump of the Trinity. It is in the last few decades that the Western mind has slipped loose from this absolutist conception of God that has dominated the intelligence of Christendom at least for many centuries. Almost unconsciously, the new thought is taking a course that will lead it far away from the moorings of omnipotence. It is like a ship that has slipped its anchors and drifts, still sleeping under the pale and vanishing stars out to the open sea. Part 2 Convergent Religious Movements In quite a little while, the whole world may be alive with this renascent faith. For emancipation from the Trinitarian formularies and from a belief in an infinite God means not merely a great revivification of minds, trained under the decadence of orthodox Christianity, minds which have hitherto been hopelessly embarrassed by the choice between pseudo-Christian religion or denial. But also it opens the way toward the completest understanding and sympathy and participation with the kindred movements for release and for an intensification of the religious life that are going on outside the sphere of the Christian tradition and influence altogether. Allusion has already been made to the sympathetic devotional poetry of Rabindranath Tagore. He stands for a movement in Brahmanism, parallel with and assimilable to the worship of the true God of mankind. It is too often supposed that the religious tendency of the East is entirely towards otherworldness, to a treatment of this life as an evil entanglement and of death as release and a blessing. It is too easily assumed that Eastern teaching is wholly concerned with renunciation, 
not merely of self but of being with the escape from all effort of any sort into an exalted vacuity this is indeed neither the spirit of china nor of islam nor of the everyday life of any people in the world it is not the spirit of the sikh nor of these newer developments of hindu thought it has never been the spirit of japan today less than ever does asia seem disposed to give up life and the effort of life just as readily as europeans do the asiatics reach out their arms to that fuller life we can live that greater intensity of existence to which we can attain by escaping from ourselves all mankind is seeking god there is not a nation nor a city in the globe where men are not being urged at this moment by the spirit of god in them toward the discovery of god this is not an age of despair but an age of hope in asia as in all the world besides islam is undergoing a process of revision closely parallel to that which ransacks christianity tradition and medieval doctrines are being thrust aside in a similar way there is much probing into the spirit and intention of the founder the time is almost ripe for a heart-searching dialogue of the dead how we settle our religions for ever and ever between let us say eusebius of caesarea and one of nizam el mulk's tame theologians they would be drawn together by the same tribulations they would be in the closest sympathy against the temerity of the moderns they would have a common courtliness the quran is but little read by europeans it is ignorantly supposed to contain many things that it does not contain there is much confusion in people's minds between its text and the ancient semitic traditions and usages retained by its followers in places it may seem formless and barbaric but what it has chiefly to tell of is the leadership of one individualized militant god who claims the rule of the whole world who favors neither rank nor race who would lead men to righteousness it is much more free from sacramentalism from vestiges of the ancient blood sacrifice and its associated sacerdotalism than christianity the religion that will presently sway mankind can be reached more easily from that starting point than from the confused mysteries of trinitarian theology islam was never saddled with a creed with the very name islam meaning submission to god there is no quarrel for those who hold the new faith all the world over there is a stirring in the dry bones of the old beliefs there is scarcely a religion that has not its brahaism its modernists its brahmo somage its religion without theology its attempts to escape from old forms and hampering associations to that living and worldwide spiritual reality upon which the human mind almost instinctively insists it is the same god we all seek he becomes more and more plainly the same god so that all this religious stir which seems so multifold and incidental and disconnected and confused and entirely ineffective today may be and most probably will be in quite a few years a great flood of religious unanimity pouring over and changing all human affairs 
sweeping away the old priesthoods and tabernacles and symbols and shrines, the last crumb of the Orphic victim and the last rag of the Serapium, and turning all men about into one direction as the ships and houseboats swing round together in some great river with the uprush of the tide. Part 3 Can There Be a True Church? Among those who are beginning to realize the differences and identities of the revived religion that has returned to them, certain questions of organization and assembly are being discussed. Every new religious development is haunted by the precedence of the religion it replaces, and it was only to be expected that among those who have recovered their faith there should be a search for apostles and disciples, an attempt to determine sources and to form original congregations, especially among people with European traditions. These dispositions mark a relapse from understanding. They are imitative. This time there has been no revelation here or there. There is no claim to a revelation, but simply that God has become visible. Men have thought and sought until insensibly the fog of obsolete theology has cleared away. There seems no need, therefore, for special teachers or a special propaganda or any ritual or observances that will seem to insist upon differences. The Christian precedent of a church is particularly misleading. The church, with its sacraments and its sacerdotalism, is the disease of Christianity. Save for a few doubtful interpolations, there is no evidence that Christ tolerated either blood sacrifices or the mysteries of priesthood. All these antique grossnesses were superadded after his martyrdom. He preached not a cult, but a gospel. He sent out not medicine men, but apostles. No doubt all who believe owe an apostolic service to God. They become naturally apostolic. As men perceive and realize God, each will be disposed in his own fashion to call his neighbor's attention to what he sees. The necessary elements of religion could be written on a postcard. This book, small as it is, bulks large, not by what it tells positively, but because it deals with misconceptions. We may little doubt have I that we do, need special propagandas and organizations to discuss errors and keep back the jungle of false ideas, to maintain free speech and restrain the enterprise of the persecutor. But we do not want a church to keep our faith for us. We want our faith spread. But for that, there is no need for orthodoxies and controlling organizations of statement. It is for each man to follow his own impulse and to speak to his like in his own fashion. Whatever religious congregations men may form henceforth in the name of the true God must be for their own sakes and not to take charge of religion. The history of Christianity with its encrustation and suffocation in dogmas and usages, its dire persecutions of the faithful by the unfaithful, its desiccation and its unlovely decay, its invasion by robes and rites 
and all the tricks and vices of the Pharisees, whom Christ detested and denounced, is full of warning against the dangers of a church. Organization is an excellent thing for the material needs of men, for the draining of towns, the marshalling of traffic, the collecting of eggs, and the carrying of letters, the distribution of bread, the notification of measles, for hygiene and economics, and such like affairs. The better we organize such things, the freer and better equipped we leave men's minds for nobler purposes, for those adventures and experiments toward God's purpose, which are the reality of life. But all organizations must be watched, for whatever is organized can be captured and misused. Repentance, moreover, is the beginning and essential of the religious life, and organizations, acting through their secretaries and officials, never repent. God deals only with the individual for the individual's surrender. He takes no cognizance of committees. Those who are most alive to the realities of living religion are most mistrustful of this congregating tendency. To gather together is to purchase a benefit at the price of a greater loss, to strengthen one's sense of brotherhood by excluding the majority of mankind. Before you know where you are, you will have exchanged the Spirit of God for esprit de corps. You will have reinvented the symbol. You will have begun to keep anniversaries and establish sacramental ceremonies. The disposition to form cliques and exclude and conspire against unlike people is all too strong in humanity to permit of its formal encouragement. Even such organization, as is implied by a creed, is to be avoided, for all living faith coagulates as you phrase it. In this book, I have not given so much as a definite name to the faith of the true God. Organization for worship and collective exaltation also, it may be urged, is of little manifest good. You cannot appoint beforehand a time and place for God to irradiate your soul. All these are very valid objections to the church-forming disposition. Part 4. Organizations under God Yet this still leaves many dissatisfied. They want to shout out about God. They want to share this great thing with all mankind. Why should they not shout and share? Let them express all that they desire to express in their own fashion, by themselves, or grouped with their friends as they will. Let them shout chorally, if they are so disposed. Let them work in a gang, if so they can work the better. But let them guard themselves against the idea that they can have God particularly or exclusively with them in any such undertaking, or that so they can express God rather than themselves. And that, I think, states the attitude of the modern spirit toward the idea of a church. Mankind passes forever out of the idolatry of altars, away from the obscene rites of circumcision and symbolical cannibalism, beyond the sway of the ceremonial priest. 
but if a modern spirit holds that religion cannot be organized or any intermediary thrust between god and man that does not preclude infinite possibilities of organization and collective action under god and within the compass of religion there is no reason why religious men should not band themselves the better to attain specific ends to borrow a term from british politics there is no objection to ad hoc organizations the objection lies not against subsidiary organizations for service but against organizations that may claim to be comprehensive for example there is no reason why one should not and in many cases there are good reasons why one should organize or join associations for the criticism of religious ideas an employment that may pass very readily into propaganda many people feel the need of prayer to resist the evil in themselves and to keep them in mind of divine emotion and many want not merely prayer but formal prayer and the support of others praying in unison the writer does not understand this desire or need for collective prayer very well but there are people who appear to do so and there is no reason why they should not assemble for that purpose and there is no doubt that divine poetry divine maxims religious thought finely expressed may be heard rehearsed collected published and distributed by associations the desire for expression implies a sort of assembly a hearer at least as well as a speaker and expression has many forms people with a strong artistic impulse will necessarily want to express themselves by art when religion touches them and many arts architecture and the drama for example are collective undertakings i do not see why there should not be under god associations for building cathedrals and such like great still places urgent with beauty into which men and women may go to rest from the clamor of the day's confusions i do not see why men should not make great shrines and pictures expressing their sense of divine things and why they should not combine in such enterprises rather than work to fill heterogeneous and chaotic art galleries a wave of religious revival and religious clarification such as i foresee will most certainly bring with it a great revival of art religious art music songs and writing of all sorts drama the making of shrines praying places temples and retreats the creation of pictures and sculptures it is not necessary to have priestcraft and an organized church for such ends such enrichments of feeling and thought are part of the service of god and again under god there may be associations and fraternities for research in pure science associations for the teaching and simplification of languages associations for promoting and watching education associations for the discussion of political problems and the determination of right policies in all these ways men may multiply their use by union only when associations seek to control things of belief to dictate formulae restrict religious activities or the freedom of religious thought and teaching 
when they tend to subdivide those who believe and to set up jealousies or exclusions do they become antagonistic to the spirit of modern religion part five the state is god's instrument because religion cannot be organized because god is everywhere and immediately accessible to every human being it does not follow that religion cannot organize every other human affair it is indeed essential to the idea that god is the invisible king of this round world and all mankind that we should see in every government great and small from the council of the world state that is presently coming down to the village assembly the instrument of god's practical control religion which is free speaking freely through whom it will subject to a perpetual unlimited criticism will be the life and driving power of the whole organized world so that if you prefer not to say that there will be no church if you choose rather to declare that the world state is god's church you may have it so if you will provided that you leave conscience and speech and writing and teaching about divine things absolutely free and that you try to set no nets about god the world is god's and he takes it but he himself remains freedom and we find our freedom in him end of chapter seventh parts one through five